You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Hi everyone, it's Julie Kerr here. I'm the producer of Inverse. I'm popping into your ears quickly to let you know that if you listen to Inverse, this is simply our welcome mat to a wider community of people from all around the world. We connect throughout the week with Liberating Sunday School on the weekend, which tends to focus on Indigenous texts and subversive seminary during the week that focuses on anti-racism formation. We also have an advanced anti-racism group, which is currently studying the Africana Bible, a reading of the scriptures from the vantage point of Africa and the African diaspora. We also record these episodes in community and we'd love to invite you into this space where you can have a chance to ask questions and to participate. All the information is in our show notes. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast in iTunes. But for now, enjoy the following episode. Grace, uh, we're going to do something a, a little different. Um, firstly, congratulations. Uh, the, Thank you. It, it, it's wonderful. It's hugely significant for so many. Um, but instead of us introduce um, you, uh, we've actually got um, our dear sister, Zoe, who's going to introduce you. Um, so I'll let Zoe introduce you. Hi, how's it going, everyone? Um, Grace Semler Baldridge is a writer, producer, and singer songwriter. Uh, She's known for her docu-series on Refinery29 called State of Grace, which explores the way faith intersects with different social issues like LGBTQ rights, abortion, sex education, and gun violence. Uh, she's also released an album and two EPs, and the most recent release, Preacher's Kid, has garnered major success on iTunes, becoming the first album by an openly queer artist to spend several days at the top of the iTunes Christian chart. Um, it's funny... <laughs> Well, I don't know about funny, but growing up, no one really talked about queer people very much, whether it was at school or at home or at church. There was just very little visibility. And so when I realized that I was gay, um, even though I knew a few other people that were like me, I felt really invisible, especially in the church. And I just wasn't really sure if I belonged there anymore. And I didn't really know if I was allowed to have doubts about anything or if I was allowed to question things, but to see another queer person market themselves as not only a queer person, but also a skeptic to other Christians and specifically in the Christian music industry. And for that album to have so much success, I was just like over the moon about it. I sent your album to all of my queer friends and I posted on Instagram and I was like so excited. <laughs> and I had one friend text me back and was like, you know, I really hope this means that the world is changing. Um, you have given the world such a gift, maybe not what everyone wants, but <laughs> I, what everyone needs, you know, a, sort of a glimpse into what's, what it's like for people like us. And I just think, you know, that matters so much. Like for even if one kid, gets to have this, like what, what I didn't have growing up, like, and gets to hold on to that. Like, it just really means the world to know that this stuff is out there because music is like such a shared space for everyone. So I just really appreciate that about you. Yeah, I'll hand it back over to Drew and Jared to keep things off. Thank you, Zoe. That was so kind, thank you so much. Yeah, that was great. Um, so, just to start us off, do you have a, a text 
a particular passage that you'd like to read for us to get our conversation started? I do, and I recognize that it's a little random, um, but it's just something that my wife and I have sort of been thinking about recently around our home. So I'm going to read from uh, John chapter 20, verse 24 to 25. And it goes something like this. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them. And we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So I guess we'll get into that later, but that's just something that um, Lizzie and I have been mulling over on the house. So I thought that that's what I would offer to this group today. Hmm. Yeah, thank Grace, you. when do you first remember encountering the scriptures? I probably as early as I have memories. I mean, mm. parables to me were like like nursery rhymes, you know, um, because my dad is a priest. And so I grew up going to Sunday school. So it's got to be one of my earliest memories are certainly praying with my dad before bed. And then also going to Sunday school and having, um, we had these wooden figurines that the Sunday school teachers would use in different sandboxes to uh, create these like scenes from the Bible. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's pretty much probably my earliest memory are, are of learning of Jesus and scripture and Christianity. And at the time, of course, when you hear it, they seem like superhero stories. You know, they don't, they seem like very like crazy stories that everyone sort of seems to be really into. And then of course you get older and you, you develop more of a personal faith or you don't, but that, that's been my journey. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. And, and I'm curious. So I, I did get the chance um, in preparation for this conversation. I listened to the album and enjoyed it. Um, and one of the things like I could, I could feel the the tension that you offer in your music and as it relates to faith. And I'm curious when you're thinking about scripture in particular, like would you say both in those early experiences and as your faith matured over time, like would you have described your experience with the Bible as liberating or oppressive or something else? I think when you're first introduced to it and you're first introduced to the story of Jesus, many kids, you find a great deal of, of hope and curiosity in scripture, specifically in the gospels. And I know that that was definitely the case for me. It's, I would say it's, it was pretty liberating early on, but it becomes oppressive as it sort of coincides with the, with puberty, honestly, <laughs> like there's some twist where it goes from like, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so to around like 12 or 13, here are the ways that Jesus is not going to love you. And this is how the Bible tells you that. So I would say uh, it began as very like liberating and exciting and also very cool because my dad is the leader of the church. And so I would always invoke the like, my dad is so powerful type, you know, things that kids do on the playgrounds when you're like seven or eight. Not, I'm not endorsing that, but I'm just saying I did say that like my dad's boss is God, like come at me. Right. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah. And I think that definitely from like the ages of 12 until, hmm, I mean, if I probably like 20 something, it just, I, what, I wasn't excited by scripture or certainly not by um, the gospels in the same way anymore, because it 
took on a whole new meaning as it was preached to me by other people. And actually only when I started being true to myself, because I've always known like the person that you're seeing before you today, it's incredible that I've arrived at this point, but it's not a surprise to me because I remember being five and like knowing who I am. And the longer that I denied myself, just like my nature, my mannerisms, I would change my voice to sound more feminine, like all this stuff. Um, only when I started being true to myself was I ever opened up to a liberating view of scripture again. It was only then that I was able to look at the gospels with new eyes and a new curiosity for context and interpretation and translation. That was never available to me when I was living in repression. Grace, mm. wow. I'm really struck. Um, firstly, you're so good at your craft, like uh, what you do on State of Grace, um, let alone your music itself, um, is really impressive. The, the way that you have a spaciousness and an, an earned kindness um, in conversation with others that makes space for those that disagree with you. And as I listen um, to your music, I, I hear the gifts of maybe um, your, your dad's influence and maybe not just your dad academically, Yale educated as an Episcopal priest, but maybe his spirituality as well, that there seems to be something very sacramental about the permission you give yourself to ask, or it feels far more like the Psalms than it does a Christian tract. Like there's um, permission for everything present in the text, um, uh, both <laughs> uh, the text we're exploring and um, the, the text of um, uh, your life and, and your witness. I'm really interested what, what particular gifts out of your embodied lived experience would you now offer, or do you feel you're offering now, um, for people to have a liberating lens when they are reading the scriptures, to be able to discern between um, uh, life and death? Uh, how, what gift from who you are do you feel you're offering others at this moment? Hmm. Well, first of all, that's incredibly kind of you to say about State of Grace, and I, I appreciate that, and I always do my best, and it is often sort of trial and error you never really know what you're going to get in an unscripted interview but I try and offer and I think I do this on this record and also in my unscripted work I think vulnerability is something mm. that is very valuable to me and I know that because for so long I was just doing extreme method acting as someone else and I can't go back there yeah. anymore I just yeah. can't and so I, I really try my very best to step into every room and every song. Um, just this is me, you know, like for better or for worse, like this is where I'm at. And I think specifically in the space of an interview, I'm offering that to you and I'm hoping that you'll come to the table in the same way. Uh, a lot of times in this life, we come into different conversations and different dynamics with a lot of pretense. And I don't think that we get to know each other that way. And what I really want to do with State of Grace and just in, in my work in general is truly try and look at each interaction as like, we are both two image bearers. We have something to learn from this interaction. So let's be open to that, whatever that is, as unlikely as it may seem. So I think it's vulnerability. And I think that through doing State of Grace, it sort of opened me up as a songwriter because I'd been releasing music for five years and some of it I'm, I'm proud of, but 
Preacher's Kid is by far my most honest songwriting. And mm. I don't know if I would have been able to access that part of me or at least feel comfortable to release it. I've been like, there are certain songs I'd written that I would like privately, like secretly release and only send to my friends. And I was like, oh, I could never share this publicly. Preacher's Kid was the first time that I've really released those songs widely. They're not just being sent to my friends anymore. Um, yeah. Strangers can hear them and you can learn a lot about my life. So I, I think that vulnerability is what I'm trying to tap into and something that I, I wanna keep harnessing and getting better at. And um, hopefully it's an invitation for others as well. Hmm. So good. It reminds me, I, um, I read something recently. It's, it's really about teaching, um, but from a black woman who was, she used this phrase, rejoin, uh, rejoin soul and roll. <laughs> I don't know why that's just hmm. been haunting me. Um, just because I've noticed ways in which, so I'm, I teach at uh, Maasai University, white, majority white evangelical students and how like over time, over the years, like slowly just like eating away my authenticity because I'm trying to like navigate where they're at. And so, and then these words rejoin soul and role have just been like haunting me um, mm. this past few months. But anyway, that kind of vulnerability and authenticity that you're talking about that I think is so important um yeah so thank you for that um so i'm really excited though about you that authenticity that um vulnerability that you bring i would love to see that uh as you get, uh, walk us through this text that you've chosen in john chapter 21 because i'm not sure exactly where you're going i mean there's so many different ways we could go with this text so i'm i'm really excited to to play in this text with you so sure. you just lead us as we guide together and, and journey together around this this passage Okay, well, first of all, I'm the preacher's kid. I am not a preacher. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any degrees. I'm figuring this out. But something, it's basically, it's something that my wife and I have been thinking about a lot is the lived life of Jesus and sort of the, the witness that we have to his life in the gospels. Mm -hmm. And something that's just sort of been like, I guess, tugging at my heart is this last sentence of, but there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So that of course leaves me open to wonder. That means that we know, as we kind of already do, but I, I like to dig into this idea that we, we only know like the highlights of Jesus's life. And we make so many assumptions based off of these four books of, of highlights and it just, it just makes me really think about the, some of the skepticism and mystery that I like to engage in is just understanding other world religions. And for yeah. an episode of State of Grace, maybe over a year ago, I was gifted a Quran by one of the faith leaders um, at the Islamic Faith Center in Paducah, Kentucky super sweet guy and he was like here's a Quran and here's like it's basically the beginner's Quran <laughs> like what you if you have no idea how to start here's how to start and I didn't know that there were miracles of Jesus in the Quran I had mm -hmm. no idea and that it, that's what it makes me sort of think of how Christians we create this division like we know righteousness we know Jesus better than anybody but my counter argument and something that makes me think of with um, this last, like, this is the last sentence that John, then John's out, out, he's like, I'm done, um, is that <laughs> if you're, if you haven't maybe visited the, 
the Quran, then you then you're missing a miracle of Jesus, you know, and, and it makes you think of like the people that we are casting out of our lives that we're not associating with because we've made an assumption on how, how what we could possibly learn from them. So a place that I'm in right now that I think is very um, holy and confusing is just a place of curiosity of opening myself up to what I don't know, what I don't understand, what I haven't learned yet. And I think that in this last sentence before John is like, bye, see you later, have fun figuring this out, you know, 2000 years later, is that is, is sort of that reminder of like, I'm giving you, you know, the highlights, but we don't really know Jesus in his 20s. You know, we don't know like what he was doing. Do we, we, we can assume certain things based on historical context, but we don't know. And that, that's why it was very inspiring to me. And it's something that just my wife and I have, have been sort of like puzzling over. And rather than finding that frustrating, because you can read this and you can be like, well, why didn't you write it down, John? Like, you should have tried. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know what I mean? Like, were you At least busy? 40 chapters, right? At least yeah, 40, like, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, come on, John. Like, this is the fa most famous book in history. Like, make the time. Make the time. Were the other miracles not divinely inspired? Why didn't you write them down? Um, you can get frustrated. But I think that as, as Christians... What, what I'm trying to be called more towards is, is allowing that space because we're seeing that evidence in the gospel mm. that John even is like, listen, you don't need to under, you're never going to understand the infinite, the infinite. It's, it would be impossible for you to try and understand the mind of God. We are feeble little humans and, and that's okay. Mm. Allow for that space, allow for that mystery, because I am like his, like his best friend, like I'm like in his circle and I still don't get it. And I could fill up books and we wouldn't get it. Mm. And I think that that's something, um, it sort of comes back to a little bit of vulnerability that I, I would love to see more from in Christian circles. We're so quick to condemn other people. I know I'm, maybe other people have experienced this as well. Maybe y'all have, but you're so quick to like come at people over the internet based on your sort of snap judgment on something about them, but I don't see that evidenced in the gospels. I don't see that sort of certainty mirrored from e even in, the, in those four books. Mm -hmm. So that's, I know that's like a random chapter. I wasn't sure if mm -hmm. I should have picked something out about like sexuality or gender or something no, like this that. this is good. Okay, <laughs> that's just like what Lizzie and I were like, man, that's so crazy that he just wrote that, that he just like left that teaser in there. Yeah, no, I, I think this is really good. I mean, I think that um, it just yesterday I was saying with some students that we were talking about like um, evil and suffering and things like that in the different ways that people try to think about how God works in the world and sovereignty and all stuff. And I was asking the question, you know, are these one of the areas where we need to have something to say or sometimes less to say, right? It's like in trying to figure that out. But I think that's that kind of, so you say you're not a theologian, but you're talking, they talk about negative theology or, you know, apophatic mm -hmm. theology. I mean, that's right. Of the Eastern church, um, that that's precisely what they're inviting us into, right? This kind of mystery and realizing that we don't have God in containments, that we don't have God in, under control and that there's so much more um, and it 
it, it requires a different posture, right? Um, then I think so much of Western Christianity, certainly Protestantism and even more so evangelicalism has taught many folks in terms of how to engage and interact with God and, and what it means to be curious and to wonder, right? Even as we engage our neighbors. So yeah, I think this is really a great place for us to enter into conversation together, yeah. And Grace, I, I think that's what I meant as well by the sacramental um, nature of particularly your most recent album is that there, there is room like uh, I have a, a friend who's a Lutheran pastor who likes to say I, I don't care what you believe there's the Nicene Creed like and together we might all of us gathered be able to cover each line but we don't get to decide what we believe um, <laughs> and once you have that freedom of like here's the tradition um, then I believe in Bigfoot most days, um, like no longer is a threatening line, right? Like it, it's yeah. actually just a witness of a believing community um, uh, that is entering into um, my certainty isn't in what propositions I'm holding on to, but something that I can't understand yet by grace, like is holding me. And that's a, that's a different way of relating to the tradition. And I, I see that in the kindness in which you relate to um, some very difficult people, like in uh, one um, State of Grace episode, there is, is somebody um, who is um, hot gospeling, street preaching uh, at the side of the gay pride um, parade. Proven. We've kept in touch. <laughs> We're wow, not Grace, close. I but yeah. but, I, Ruben. <laughs> but yeah, I know who you're talking See, it, about. It, even the way that, um, and, and what that says about the work that you've done to relate to um, those archetypes in you so um, they can be disarmed, that that is somebody who spent time um, in the space in between the notes, um, the, the chapters that aren't written, um, that, that the chapters we do have point to, um, would you talk a little bit around the role of, um, and, and feel free to, because I'm equally impressed by um, uh, you as a journalist as I am uh, you as a musician, but the, how those two things as spiritual practice create the kind of room for others? Because I see that in, um, in your lyrics, in even the decisions of um, when the gentle chords come in as um, you talk of a friend who found a saviour, um, uh, and has distanced themselves from your friendship. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm uh, not quoting the lyrics directly. No, that's the gist. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's pretty freeing when you're reminded of the 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 tenets that Jesus asked for us to carry out. It's really simple. It's just love people as you love yourself and they're in, in so doing you will be loving the lord your god mm. i think we forget that in that command jesus is saying love others as you love yourself so we often forget that we're like oh just serve other people forget yourself like you don't matter i wasn't able to show up for people in fact i was i maybe i did show up for people but not in a good way um until i started getting right with myself Wow. And actually it was as soon as I started showing up as God created me to be as the person who I've always been. Um, I, I, I like to say that because I think that visually you'll look back and you'll see like, I looked totally different 
And that wasn't me. And there's a reason why when I was presenting as like a good Christian girl, I was probably the most uh, destructive in my life and in the lives of others. So as I started getting right with myself, thereby getting right with God, my creator, it's allowed me to sort of surrender some hard and difficult feelings when I'm in hard and difficult situations, because I'm not asked to make a judgment or to change this person's life. I'm not asked to intervene. I'm asked to love them and be there for them in that moment. And that is, is quite liberating. Um, I think that we kind of mess that up because we view it as like this, we start offering like prescriptions for mm. other people. Like, oh, this is how, you know, in order to love people, it's, you know, you do X, Y, Z thing, or I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but I've had people do things to me that were not nice at all and be like, I'm doing this or I'm saying this because I love you. And it's like, you don't really get to tell someone how they experience what you're doing. Um, so I, I think that, I think that just as I started showing up for myself, it allowed me to just do that for other people and to understand um, the interconnectedness of us all. And just, it makes it um, less burdensome. Like I, I still see Ruben. He goes to every pride parade, not in a good way, in a bad way. He's, <laughs> he's, he, he's mean, he yells mean things. Yeah. I won't, yeah. I'm not protecting him at all. Yeah. But I also know that for whatever reason, I go up to him. I always say, hi, he knows who I am. I love that my first name is Grace because he has to like extend Grace to me, uh, even just in greeting me. Mm. And um, I think that it's important for, for me, and I'm not saying that this is right for everybody. I don't say like, go befriend the angry people yelling at pride parades. I, I don't know what everyone's situation is, but I'm saying for me, it's just this place of like, you can't stop me from saying hi to you. Cause I genuinely like, I kind of worry about you, man. Like yeah. this is a yep. strange and difficult road you've paved for yourself. Every time you're just gathering at people being happy and you're yelling, you can't feel great about yourself has anyone asked you how you're doing today? And that's like, that's, I know how I feel loved when people ask me how I'm doing, if I'm in an angry mood and he's in an angry mood. So let me extend that to him. And in we've, you know, again, we, we say hi, he always makes a rude comment about my hair, but like, he isn't like mean to me. That's mm. all. <laughs> I don't know. It's a very strange, yeah. Fair Ruben is a very strange guy. He also loves being on camera for the record, which I was like always a, a little bit annoying when we did the first episode of State of Grace. He was like, this episode is going to be a huge hit because like everything I'm in does so well. And I was like, Ruben, you're being homophobic on a megaphone. Like, I don't want you to be famous. You're not going to come out of this looking great, my friend. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I want to come back to this um <clears throat> Jesus beyond the page, right? Um, that you kind of invited us into. And I was thinking about, um, so James Cohn talks about this like dialectical tension of um, the written Jesus and then like the Jesus known in black communities, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of dialectical tension that he holds those two that in some ways, Jesus is never 
is both he takes very seriously the Jesus of the New Testament and also that that isn't containing Jesus, right? That mm-hmm. Jesus is so much more than that, um, which maybe is some of what I think you're getting at in terms of just that curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. That we're invited into. Um, and so I'm thinking about as you think about that tension um, and seek to follow this Jesus that's beyond the page. Um, I'm curious about like your own spiritual practices and your own habits and like, what, what does that look like for you to, in your day-to-day life? Obviously music is important. Yeah. So I'm curious if there's other aspects that are really important to you. Well, quarantine threw us all for a loop. I think we all had to adapt, create new spiritual practices. Um, so I think, yeah, honestly, I think it's something that I'm always figuring out, but it's true that like, I try and spend a few hours at my piano every morning. Hmm. And I, I heard something from a musician, the, the lead singer of, um, of Jars of Clay that we interviewed after we were done filming, he was like, you know, one of the ways that we experience God, he believes, and I, I really identify with this is through music. There are these sort of like, there are these things that come together in the ether seemingly that just piece together and they make sense and how we can all understand each other and that is like evidence of god in our in our day-to-day lives and i totally experience that through music i think that especially like in my darkest and lowest moments ever since i was little i've heard like songs going in my head and whenever i've really been struggling it's almost like a radio station i can tap into Mm. and i thought that like everyone had that that you could just turn on the things in your head and um, which I know sounds a little strange, but uh, as I've gotten older, I've realized this is truly, for me, this is like a, a sort of divine gift that I'm never, I never feel abandoned, even when I've felt profoundly lonely. Wow. Um, and I think that, so music is definitely, it has become, especially in quarantine, a huge part of my spiritual practice of just like spending time at the piano. Um, usually if I'm at the guitar, it's kind of a different headspace. I'm not sure what that is. It's just sort of like the posture of being at the piano is very yeah. like meditative for me. I can yeah, just yeah. be playing. I don't need to think of a song structure. I don't naturally gravitate towards that all the time. And I think it's also really encouraged my wife and I to just kind of almost casually start looking into our Bibles in, in mm. it, because it is so unstructured our time is so unstructured like I don't even know what day it is right now this is such a weird time <laughs> in our lives yeah. and and I think that you rather than like freaking out kind of leaning into that lack of structure which is exactly how we got to the passage that I shared with y'all at the beginning of this which is just you know she mentioned it and I was like oh that that's so interesting and then we're talking casually like over days coming back to this conversation of like how little like was documented of Jesus's life and what other sort of scholarship has there been on that and what was he doing at 25 like where was he like this just going pouring over that in a more casual sense has been quite liberating because prior to that we were pretty um I was a member of my church's vestry I was going to church you know on the on Sunday and that was it was a pretty I mean I love my church community but it was pretty um I don't know how to like just like a weekly like it, it was like a, a motion you know yeah. you're sometimes you can go through the motions and that's comforting and you find like a lot of peace in that but sometimes you can go through the motions and you check out and I think I was kind of at the point of checking out a little bit and having to be at home and missing that weekly spiritual practice 
in me, it inspired creating something totally different, finding churches that are doing their services online, checking in with different faith communities all across the globe on Sundays or whenever. Mm. That's actually been really cool. I don't know if I would have, I know that a lot of churches have been doing online things for a while, but I don't know if I would have checked in with them if it wasn't for quarantine. I always Mm. was like, no churches in person, otherwise you won't feel it. God will not be there. Um, and, and quarantine, you know, you, there's so many amazing faith communities, Christian communities, just across the whole world that you can watch Mm -hmm. their services on YouTube, get something new and get to know, um, different preachers and teachers and speakers and anything that rhymes with eekers, I guess, and, um, whatever they're doing. And so that's, that's sort of been where, where I'm at. It's like this very fluid, but, um, probably the most consistent, that I've been in a while. And, and also the most open to just like opening, opening my Bible for no reason, not because it's that time of the day, it's my time before prayer or whatever, just because I'm like, oh, what's, what's going on in Psalms? Like I haven't seen Psalms in a while. Like let's check that out. <laughs> That's good. You know, and I really resonate with, so I'm somewhat, I, I wish I had the musical gifts where I had songs in my head um, but I do like to sit at the piano and I mess around a little bit. Um, and I've been kind of returning to that during quarantine in particular. And that has been like these moments, like I have moments, memories in my head of just holy moments of just sitting at the piano. Right. right? It's crazy. Um, so it's, I, very, I get, it's almost out about of the, body. Yeah, yeah. The posture of it and all, I, it all makes sense to me. Um, and I, yeah, so I, I really appreciate that. And maybe one day, God will gift me you know, my secret that no, but no one tell this secret to anybody. Okay. But uh, when I was younger, I used to want to like perform and like, you know, be a musician and right. And so like I had imaginations of me doing that kind of stuff, which, you know, I just don't have those skills. It but, may um, come to pass, Drew. You don't maybe, know. You just don't know what you don't know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Grace, um, one of my favorite lines um, is the one, uh, about the mission trips um, and that they do no good. Um, and we've got celebrity mm-hmm. pastors trying to make bank in Hollywood. Uh, again, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm No, it's, um, that's the gist. That's, that's it. Messing your, your lyrics. Um, uh, part of the thing that I loved about what you just explained about um, how you and your wife are um, responding to quarantine is the desire to spend time um, with different communities around the world. I think that's really precious. As somebody who um, grew up on the receiving end of American missionaries, like literally, uh, so I, uh, we lived in a, um, a Catholic worker community in one of the um, most difficult neighborhoods in my city. And we would have these missionaries that would show up during the school holidays and the local Aboriginal kids would love it. That they just—it was fantastic. There were games. There were, um, and then they'd leave, and um, they'd say, "When, uh, when are the Americans coming back?" And uh, we're like, "Well, we, we don't know. We're sorry, we're not <laughs> as exciting." And but do, do you want to help with the chickens, or she help in the community <laughs> garden? And they're like, "Oh, because we we really want to um, invite Jesus into our heart again." And we're like, oh, you don't need Americans to, <laughs> to feel Jesus' presence, you know? And, and like, yeah, but w- with them, it, it's just different. Um, I, that is so tied up in um, the kind of 
thing that you're pulling apart. And um, I, I read some reviews um, uh, in some places that I don't normally go. And I actually thought, I hope Grace never sees this because they just don't get it. Like they, they honestly don't get what um, uh, you're doing and, and that there is no deep listening. Um, which they they can't because then they would have to listen to who's present in their own communities if they'd only pay attention and um, made it safe for them to actually raise their voice. But as as you um, put out um, what has come up for you, um, uh, as you've sat in that posture at the piano and there is this vulnerability, one of the things that I've been surprised about is that you are actually radically changing the Christian charts in that this, this form of music, which is more personal, autobiographical, um, it hasn't really been a thing in, um, uh, for quite some time. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah. usually, like I'm, I'm here in the lands now known as Australia. Um, so, I mean, I, I can't go to Catholic mass and not hear Hillsong. And I'm not exaggerating that you, you go to mass here and uh, you'll hear Hillsong. Um, uh, but what you're doing um, is something different than, um, you know, the, I, I don't, I'm, I'm searching for language, like the straight praise, the. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's not like, a, it's not worship. Sorry, what was the question? Uh, have you have you thought about the interplay that that's happening on the charts and what you telling your truth has done? Well, I think we'll have to see about how this all sort of shakes out, and I'm I'm hopeful that we're sort of at the beginning of this journey because I know for me I've I've sort of only just begun to write. It's it's mm. sort of like I turned on like a water fountain, and every day um, I'm just overwhelmed with things I, I want to say, things on my heart that I'm that I'm writing and working on. Um, so I don't know exactly how things will go, but I'm excited to progress. I, I do hear what you're saying about this type of Christian experience. I think the specificity maybe hasn't been expressed before. I think yeah. there's a beautiful place for worship music. I think worship music, probably many of us have had a very profound experience while listening to worship music. Yeah. I mean, Hillsong, Oceans is a good song. Like I, yeah, I don't care really who you are. It's, it's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a reason why it's just captured so many hearts. Um, and- But Grace, you know, what's interesting yeah. about that is that it almost returns to um, a narrative, imaginative, um, uh, frame of reference instead of abstract theological principles. Like you're in a particular passage about like sinking and Jesus being on water. Like it, mm-hmm. it's far more similar to um, um, uh, the Golden Gate Quartet and the kind of the, the particularities of um, uh, that kind of uh, African-American gospel music where it's about mm-hmm. Daniel and a lion's den. It, it, it's about um, uh Jesus gave the water, but it was not for the well. Um, I touched the hem of his gut. Like there's a, a specificity to the actual stories that invite you in imaginatively instead of a very safe, um, like what you're doing isn't safe. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's happening in, in that passage, I think, points to something which is far more um, embodied and um, uh, far less ephemeral while open to the transcendent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know what you I, I know what you mean because I think that 
so much of, of Christian music for a while, it seems, has been almost like excluding Christian experience. You know, it's like, who are we writing this music for? You know, and, and many people would say, I'm writing this music for God. And I think that that's incredible. Mm. But I am writing this music for me, like to God, <laughs> like almost mm -hmm. like as, as like an, because I, I don't, I don't feel any division in myself, mm. you know, and I think that we've, a lot of Christian music has sort of positioned us as like so far from God. And we're just hoping if we sing this hymn loud enough, maybe he'll hear us and deign us with his presence. But mm. how I feel in prayer and how I write music, at least on, on this project is especially like in the song, in the song Bethlehem, when I say what I would give for just an inch of your peace, as I'm yeah. singing that God is with me. You know, I'm not trying to, it, it, it's amazing that it's resonated with other people, but I hope that it's resonated with them on the same personal level that I wrote it in, because I don't, I don't want it to be like widely consumed by masses to be sung at church. This is like for you in your personal walk with Christ that isn't going to be easy all the time. And to acknowledge that you're going to feel pain and that people will cause you that pain in the name of the same God that you're praying to for relief and how confusing that all is. And so I think that there, what I'm hopeful that we can see is just a pluralism of in Christian music of who we're directing this music to again, like church music. And just this morning I was watching Kirk Franklin's tiny desk and it's probably the best tiny desk I've at least like top three in my book. <laughs> and that is like, we have to have music like that church music, gospel music. That's so important. And I think that also the music I'm writing can exist as well. Mm. Music that, that, that is speaking of sort of this, this, this pain crying out for hope, also lamenting with other Christians who have been hurt, finding community yeah. and fellowship in each other. When did we decide that that's unchristian, that that's yeah. unbiblical? I don't see that. I see Jesus like lamenting and kicking it with his friends all over the gospels. Mm -hmm. So when did we decide that a song like youth group kind of joking about having these doubts, but also like going to these collective Christian spaces, when did, when, wh where is that um, not supported. Mm. And, and basically you can, I, I also understand that people might show me some evidence here. Well, it's not supported here, 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 and here. My response to that would be for you. I, then it doesn't need to be for you. I, not every single song on the Christian music charts needs to cater to every single Christian experience. There's room for mm. everybody. This is a big table. I'm just writing music for people that resonate with it. And it's okay if that's not you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I what was interesting. So I'll I'll confess, like my music listening um, genres in general are very narrow. <laughs> um, you know, hip hop, soul, R and B, gospel. You mentioned gospel, that kind of stuff. Um, but so I really, I I really appreciated listening to your music, and. And maybe this sounds weird. Hopefully, this doesn't sound like an insult. This is the compliments, but I was surprised because when I've ex been exposed to CCM music in general, <laughs> like I think about my college experiences at a Christian college, like it, it, I, I get tight when I'm around mm. white CCM music because oh, same, <laughs> you know, like I just, you know, so I didn't know what, but so that that's just one thing as you were even talking about the different kinds of music and stuff, but 
along that line, then, since you mentioned Kirk Franklin in particular, I'm really, really curious about um, to switch the conversation a little bit. What are some of your influences, musical like, you know, so I imagine just from listening that it's probably pretty wide. So I'm just curious to hear some of the different musical influences that um, yeah. maybe shape you or that you really enjoy. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely have something I like about myself is that I do have a pretty wide range of influences. I listen to really a little bit of everything. And I know a lot of people say that, but I really, I just love consuming like music. I, it just, it's like, I'm, I'm a nerd for just like all different types of genres. If someone's killing it in their genre, like I want to hear what they're doing. Yeah. I don't think I would, I don't think it would be fair. I know you mentioned Kirk Franklin. I don't think I can fairly credit him as an influence, although I did grow up like listening to Kirk Franklin. Um, and I think that like, yeah, I mean, like I listened to like the wow records. Did you ever have those? The wow, they were like the- So there's the best... separate wow gospel. So there were, you know, black folk, we had our own separate track <laughs> of didn't... stuff. Wow. Yeah, so because it was be like the CCM wow. stuff and then there was, yeah, he might've had a couple, but then like the real gospel track, we didn't listen to the white people's version. Amazing. We had our own wow gospel <laughs> yeah. with our own hits. Yeah. And, and Grace, in terms of my experience, it, it wasn't until um, my family had American pastors come and stay with us and uh, they were concerned what I was listening to. And they sent all this paraphernalia where you'd look up on one side the bands like the normal bands <laughs> that you like and then they'll give you a christian equivalent oh yeah and they, they were like um you tell us what of these you're interested in and we'll say so i i did and they sent me a bunch of stuff and i was like these are bad cover bands like this this doesn't like yeah so, well, so that was there's a lot kind of, of like there was a lot of like this is the christian version of this rather yeah. than like this is an authentic expression of someone's faith and this yeah. is how they wrote about it. There was yeah. totally that going on. I, I, we might've had the same chart like sent around or something because I was into <laughs> a lot of new metal um, and emo and like punk stuff um, growing up. My mom definitely like listened to a lot of like Al Green and the Beatles, um, mm. Fleetwood Mac. Um, I'm a big fan of Nirvana, Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn, as far as like storytellers go. Yeah. Recently, I've been listening to uh, Kenny Hoopla. I've been, I feel like I've been plugging him more than my own music recently, but does anyone know Kenny Hoopla? He's like a pop punk singer. Um, okay. He's just the best. He's super, he's like the future. He's great. And um, I've been listening, I'm really inspired by uh, Rustin Kelly, who I actually like went to high school with. He's like a folk singer, songwriter, Noah Gunderson. I really try and pull a lot of different influences. I try not to stay within a genre that I'm listening to too much because I think we can just learn so much from other expressions. I think Carly Rae Jepsen is one of the best songwriters of all time. Avril Lavigne's first album like was incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, we see someone in the chat said Carly Rae Jepsen. So I'm telling you, she's great. Don't, don't underestimate her. Uh, yeah, I, I really pull a lot of different um, influences and I know that it all sort of reduces down into like a singer songwriter type of energy, but I like to think that you kind of hear a little bit of like the grunge that I was like listening to and um, you hear like maybe the specificity of like, uh, like Loretta and Willie, like storytellers. Mm -hmm. So who knows how it all shakes out and who knows like where I will 
evolve to in the future. And of course, like Switchfoot, Reliant K, Hawk Nelson, like <laughs> all those like Christian bands. So Grace, I have learned some of their music by watching um, the, the projects that you've been doing covering their stuff. Um, so I, um, I feel like there's so much I missed out on. But it's also wow. so much stuff that I don't have to, like, yeah. I listen to some people and I'm like, yeah, I don't need to process that. That was never part of my experience. Um, yep. But you, you grew up some of your childhood in Belgium. Mm -hmm. Most of it, so, actually. Like most, I moved to the US for university when I was 18, but I was wow. born in the US in South Carolina. Wow. So it, it was doing um, a, a crash course in um, mainstream white, conservative Christian cool is that how you picked up well I think that having my dad as a priest as like you're in that you're in that world he the only media he brought home was Christian media and my dad is a really sweet and accepting guy he ended mm. up being like just the best after I came out he really did but I also think that he didn't know my parents like didn't know they were raising a queer kid. And I think that societally there were, there was a lot that they just sort of threw at me because that's what all the books on parenting were like, this is how you raise a girl. And then I was like, surprise bitch. Um, but, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, but uh, so I think that like all the messaging that was brought over was definitely like white Western evangelical, like all the media, like whether it was like books like the Jesus Freak book, whether it was music, movies, all that stuff, my dad was just sort of like funneling into the house that he would get like shipments of monthly from um, like CCM orgs that he would like partner with for certain like events and whatever. And then I also remember very much needing like white evangelism when a bunch uh -huh. of um, like missionaries from Young Life came over and they started honestly, like, I don't know, like, the nice word is, like, loitering around our high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't know what they were doing. Like, they didn't have kids yeah. there. Like, I don't know what they were doing. Um, but they, like, scoped out who the popular kids were, and they started having their breakfasts that were then cool by association because of said popular kids that they had loitered around. And, oh, um, Grace, they went for the popular kids. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I've heard that that's the, the strategy, right? I mean, I don't yeah. know that much about it, but I think that that's like the official playbook of their- It is, yeah. Cause they would go to like- Have they read games. the gospels? Like, come on. <laughs> like, I just want fundamentalists yeah. to be consistent. Like, why yeah, do they'd we- like go like, to sports definitely games. creation. Jesus spends all his time with the down and out, but we're going for the cool kids. Cool What's ones. that? Yeah, let's hang out with cool 15-year-olds, which feels like an oxymoron because I know that I was like probably at my least cool. <laughs> and I wasn't one of the kids that they targeted, to be clear. I was not a cool kid that they were like, we got to get grace. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were, I was um, a consequence of them doing successful targeting. They'd go to like sport, sporting events because they weren't, they like literally had to ask them to stop eating lunch on our high school campus. Like the a guidance counselor or something was like, this is strange. Y'all are yeah. in your thirties. Like you don't know anyone here, <laughs> like go home. And so, yeah, I remember like needing white evangelism and fundamentalist beliefs and just feeling so confused. Mm. And it was also confusing too, cause it's dressed up as cool. Uh, like irregardless of who the kids were that they got to like join the group 
they position themselves as like, we're cool Christians. And so then I started sort of resenting the tradition that I come from, which was affirming, but it was very like old church, like robes, um, mm-hmm. there's incense on certain occasions, like that whole thing. And so you have these other like adults coming in that are like, this is the cool way to be Christian. And you just believe them. And then they start saying these like rules and and everyone starts going along with it. It's honestly like kind of a case in, I think like in like in a, like a, a you could study it, like how kids sort of respond to leadership and how we're so quick to sort of um, follow arbitrary rules. They seem arbitrary at first and they become more serious and um, more I really like prescriptive of like, this is how to be. And like, this is how you like fit in and like a God honoring way. Mm. And it's, I think it's sad because I think a lot of us are still like unpacking things from that. And then when I moved over to the U S for university, I pretty much by that time I was pretty much done with like, I was not, I don't think I owned a Bible. I didn't bring anything with me. I wasn't curious at all. And I was just so mad and angry about how people had started like twisting scripture in a way that was painful. And I was holding a lot of secrets and I was just really consumed with, um, living this lie for a while. Mm. Um, so, and then somewhere I, where I figured things out, (laughs) but it feels like it took forever. (laughs) I think it's maybe one of my favorite lines from you. Um, we're, we're as sick as our secrets. Oh yeah. On, on uh, beauty queen. Well, that song is about a fictional murder, but um, yes, it's true. The line of we, you're, um, you're as sick as your secrets, because for me, I know that was absolutely true. And mm. again, it's the, the interesting thing about it is that people probably looked at me during that time when I was like the best at keeping my secrets. So I was the, the most sick. Um, I think that's when people would have been like, look at this good like preacher's daughter. Like, look at how good she's doing. Because wow. privately I was spinning out and people that were close to me knew that. But I think mm. from the outside, I would not have been the person that you prayed over. You know, I wasn't the person that people were going up to and un- like, uh, like, <laughs> like, coming at me with prayer is like a very I don't know how to express it has anyone you know that feeling when someone just like accosts you with prayer uh that only happened when I started getting healthy like when I started like I remember like I had a haircut it all comes back to hair I had a haircut and some guy from the young life group like came out of nowhere we are you're not in touch not in touch and he like sent me a Facebook message like right before I deleted my Facebook I think and he was like, I think the Lord is telling me to like pray for you. And I was like, mm. dude, I think you just saw I got a haircut and you think I'm gay. Like, I think that's what that's, that is. I don't think the Lord is telling you, you haven't talked to me. Like you just, I popped up because I posted a new profile photo. Like, let's be honest about what happened here. It wasn't that the Lord placed me on your heart. It's that you are worried that I'm gay and you shouldn't mm. be because I'm actually very happy and healthy and coming back into my faith. So let's all just pray for each other. <laughs> and Grace, this is what, um, Drew, I almost think that um, what Grace's album has done has I- exposed, it's unmasked some of the sickness and secrets that are actually the Christian music industry and um, the lack of, um, like if there was 
um, Christians who are writing personal stories because um, uh, they, they weren't brave enough to just jump into larger culture and write outside their bubble or like, like I don't want to have two down. Um, uh, and so instead, um, and I, I guess Hillsong's been a massive part of this as well. They're, uh, and I think it's been something of the Australian landscape that you, you can't write that kind of music just for Christians. Like if you're going to have a great band, you have a great band. And if you're going to do worship music, you do worship music. And the influence of that in the US has meant that so much of uh, um, uh, Christian listening has actually gone um, in a, a de devotional um, uh, praise and worship kind of direction. What you're doing that's so fascinating is actually um, you're doing the opposite, not because you couldn't do it elsewhere, but you're actually jumping back in and going, hey, I'm here. We're all here and we're going to play in this space. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah I think that um, it's, it is a bit of a, a challenge because I probably could have submit this project, Preacher's Kid, as like a singer-songwriter project under, under genre, but I don't think that that would be honest about the place that I'm writing from. And it was my, my wife was like, well, why couldn't you submit it as a Christian record? I was sort of like wrestling with this idea. And I was like, well, I just can't like, you know, that I, I they'll never like, they'll ban me or like, I don't know what's going to happen, but they, they're not going to like that. And, you know, she was the one that just sort of invited me to question that. Well, who is it God that's going to say this isn't a Christian record? Who in your heart of hearts, you know, that this is a meditation and this has all been inspired by your faith journey. So who's to tell you that it's not? Okay, some people are going to write like reviews or they're gonna be detractors. Okay, they're not, like they, they did not make you, they cannot unmake you. And I think that um, sort of to your point, just I'm allowed to be here. And I think that I, I was sort of, I, I think I just got frustrated and um, I kind of hit my breaking point with all the gatekeeping that happens in Christian music, but I think in Christian culture at large. And I think that there are a lot of ways that we're seeing that sort of breakdown and people are just empowered and they're taking up space and they're not apologizing for being, you know, we, I am not, I'm, I'm not ashamed of being here. I'm actually really proud of the journey that I've gone through and the story I have to tell. And I, and I am divinely inspired to do so. And, and if you have a problem, that's sort of your business, but I don't need a Christian label to release this as under the Christian genre. I've done this all independently. Mm. And I know that there are going to be others as well who will maybe you know see this example and be inspired to share their story because there's sort of like this misconception or I, I don't know if it's like this blissful ignorance, I'm not quite sure that nothing bad can happen in Christianity. Like everything here is good. Everything here is good and people will fail, but Christianity is good. And that is so short-sighted to the abuses that have happened, especially yeah. let's just deal with the United States in the Christian church here. And the people who are being left behind, who are being cast out, who are being told that they don't matter, that their voices are not important. That's not okay. And there has got to be a counter option. There's got to be a counterpoint. So I want to hear people singing about social justice and how their faith has inspired them to uh, create change and advocate for change in their communities. Why have we decided that that's, that that's antithetical to faith? 
that that's antithetical to Jesus. Wasn't he like out in the streets with the people? Like, why have we watered mm. this down so much? So I'm hopeful that this is more people will sort of view this as a possibility for some holy disruption because I think we need it. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good. And I think that really just resonates with what you were saying before, just your commitment to being vulnerable and authentic to your own story. And, and I really appreciate that. And I, again, switching gears just a little bit, I'm kind of curious, maybe just cause I'm, I'm a, a, a tradition geek, but I'm curious, um, you mentioned that your dad was Episcopalian and then you mentioned, you know, this engagement with evangelicals who are stalking kids at the schools. <laughs> I said loitering. loitering. Loitering, I'm sorry, that was my interpretation. It's so uh, predatory though, isn't it? Like, yeah. oh my goodness. But, uh, but I am curious about, um, and then you also mentioned that you were watching a range of different churches um, virtually. So I'm curious, are there particular traditions that you've kind of, uh, had proclivity towards what if there are particular ones what is it that you find meaningful about them I'm always interested about different streams that people have found life-giving or and sometimes it's not the tradition sometimes it's the church but I'm just curious what what your experiences have been recently yeah I I definitely find a lot of comfort in the Episcopal tradition because mm -hmm. that's where I grew up but I also really love mixing it up and so I found there's like some there's a really great Baptist church um in Atlanta and I'm blanking on their name but that's where I would oh you visited them in I uh, visited them moved yeah, me, that was wept wept through yeah. the whole service in a cool way in like a great way just such yeah. a good cry it's so good I also love um middle church with Reverend Jackie Lewis and I yeah, think yeah come on um, yeah oh yeah yep she I mean she is someone that I really like look up to She's someone whose voice okay. I want to see just amplified because I think that she really doesn't is an excellent example of what so of, of hitting on what so many of us who are frustrated with um, institutional Christianity are hitting up against. She just does a great job of living that and walking that walk. And I think middle church, they have online services. So that's a place mm. that I've really tuned into a lot during quarantine. Mm. So yeah. You know, I was raised in the Episcopal tradition and I find actually a lot of peace in the sort of in the recitations, um, in uh, things like the chanting and back and forth. Sometimes that's a little strange for other people. And I love that a lot, but I also love just totally breaking the mold and moving in like a non-denominational um, avenue. Um, I think that sort of like what we've been talking about, um, there's space for all of it. And I think that mm -hmm. I never want to be too settled into a tradition because then I'm worried that I'm limiting my curiosity for God and how God might reveal themselves to me in a totally new space, right? And how other people are interpreting the word. I never, even though, you know, it's okay to have like your home pastor that you're comfortable with. I want to hear that same scripture interpreted by someone else. Um, yeah. And I think that even on, on the more conservative side of things, that's my invitation to conservative Christians as well. Like, have you... Have you been open to listening to other sermons on this subject? Because I know that anyone who's been on the receiving end of some uh, Christian condemnation is pretty familiar with the sermons that are against them. And then you find the sermons that are affirming who you are. I've often found that on the conservative side of things, there isn't that same work being done towards inclusivity. You know, I'm not hearing like, oh, you know, I did tune in. I did listen to Jackie's sermon on the LGBTQ plus community and inclusion, 
And, you know, I disagreed with it. It's like, they don't even know who she is. Yeah. And so I think that I, I want to see a more holistic um, and, and, and really just a more mindful and considerate approach from the more conservative side of things. Like, have you tried to love us? Have you tried yeah, to well. love us um, and here and not on your terms? Cause you don't really get to make those terms. You don't get like, it's the, what we were talking about before. You don't get to slap someone over the face and be like, I did that because I love you. It's like, I didn't receive it that way at all. <laughs> Grace, have you considered what a um, uh, liturgical or, or worship, um, what a similar worship album might look, is, is that, um, it, can, can we expect a, a, a liturgy of similar in the future? How comfortable are you with swearing? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Would that be part of the liturgy? Will it be a call and response? <laughs> oh, my poor parents. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I would definitely, if anyone wanted to, if there was ever, a, a, if I was ever approached to use any of my music for um, a liturgical service of any variety and they even wanted to make certain modifications I'm totally open to that for me I hear my music and where I would love to tour in like dive bars like that's where I want to be <laughs> that's great and that's I mean and that's kind of I think the spirit will be there and I'm excited to be there as well and that's like you know that that's I think where where similar might live and I'm totally fine with that but again I don't know and I know that I'm just I've really just begun to write and I know that there are um I do sort of as a dare almost, I've been working on this worship song that I'm like, I'm not gonna swear on this one because I wanna almost create something that <laughs> that's- I love that that's a goal. It's hard. I, I imagine it's your hard. fridge and there's a goal. I will not it's, swear in a worship you, song. My household is a mess, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's bad. But I, I really wanna create a song that is sort of undisputed um, and it's almost like meets the criteria, but is still true to me of like a Caleb song, because I, I just keep wanting to push this boundary. I feel very called to doing that. And so I think that there, there's a lot of music that I'm writing that's going to sound very much like the same, like similar preachers kid, like working on these ideas, like, you know, explicit, that's just who I am. But then I also feel very called to writing like more meditative, strictly like worship music. But I think we're we're a little bit of ways from that because I still have some feelings I need to let out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grace, this has been wonderful. Um, yeah, I I'm wondering really if, if you feel uh, you have time for um, some questions from those who uh, were kind enough to join us live. Would you feel okay with that? If you need oh, to. Oh, absolutely. Let's do it. Yeah, for sure. Well, friends, um, uh, we'd like to open it up to you. Um, if you have particular questions or if you just want to say, I love you. Thank you for doing what you do. That's okay too. Um, but we just want to provide a little bit of time for you. Grace, I didn't tell you this, but Zoe actually writes her own music too. And I might be cheeky and uh, I might even send you a link to some of her stuff, which you will embarrass shouldn't. her. Definitely don't do that to the email that you have for me on file. I wouldn't listen to it. <laughs> Not to that email. Not to that email. No, I would love to listen. Please send it lying to you i actually have not shared with him any music that i've written although i won't oh, rule so it you, out. you forget that uh, i follow you on instagram 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> no. Well, only if you feel comfortable. I would love to take a listen, but I obviously no pressure. I understand it's like very personal. Well, it, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> if we're going to talk about this. It's not my music. I sing other people's music, which I guess if you want to listen to me do that, not well. That's okay. I'm, I post it, my account's public for a reason, but um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> That's great. People are shy, Jen. Um, Grace, I'd like to introduce you to, to Julie. Um, so Julie, as well as being uh, a music journalist, is a music in her own right, as well as being many other wonderful things. She's also the producer of uh, um, Julie. Yeah, of, of our podcast. Um, Julie, did you want to? Hey, hey. Hi. Sorry. Hi. Hi, Grace. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you as well. I love your music. Thank you. I um I learned I looked up the chords for Bethlehem and I had a little play on my piano and I just cried through the whole chorus. I couldn't even sing it. Oh. It is the most beautiful worship song. I just want to thank you for what you've brought to to this space. Thank you. I think I cried when I wrote it. So the, the it's good to know that that maybe I poured that in a little bit to the final the final version that everyone heard. Hey, Grace, this is Dan. Uh, thanks for all the music you've made um, so far. And if I'm not mistaken, you had a little back and forth with uh, Kevin Garcia a few months yeah. ago, right? I really enjoyed that. Yeah. That was that was awesome. Isn't this how this whole thing started? <laughs> I don't I mean, it's there have been a lot of uh, sort of things that have happened within the past year that I think contributed to this project. Yeah. But I know certainly Kevin hopping on a cover of mine on TikTok, they were one of the first people that sort of like hopped on and started like engaging with the covers that I was putting and just encouraging me along the way. They're, I mean, they're just the best. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, Kevin has really been there from the beginning and there's a, a lot of, a lot of this inspiration started as sort of like joking about things on TikTok and then realizing, because mm -hmm. humor oftentimes is as a result mm -hmm. of, of healing and like sort of laughing through pain. And I think starting those jokes on TikTok and just writing like youth group in like a minute and posting it, I started realizing like, I think I have more to say and I think there's more to tap in here too. And that there, there, there could be people that would be interested because that was another thing I think when you grow up in a Christian tradition, especially when you're like, you know, you're surrounded with only Christian media, you sort of think, oh, no one else is going to get this. Like, this is who knows Veggie Tales. Like, this is it. This is <laughs> going to be a common shared experience. And so I think to learn that it was shared and I got to get to know people like Kevin better, um, that there were other people showing up for me definitely served as inspiration for the project. Yeah, it's good to hear. Kevin's Kev, Kevin's great. Um, I'm curious if you're open to working with somebody like Trey Pearson. I don't know if you know him. I do know him. I was actually listening to one of his songs yesterday. Um, man, just solid, like shimmery pop. Uh, well, I can't remember what the name of the song was. Horizon, something Horizon maybe. So good. I would totally be open to working with him. We sort of know each other through 
Twitter. And again, I think our musically, our styles are pretty different, yeah. but I mean, he's the best. I remember listening to everyday Sunday as a kid. Um, so yeah, he's great. And I think that he, his vulnerability and visibility probably was also one of those things in, in the back of my mind that I was sifting through when it came time to work on this project and how I wanted to release it. Hmm. For sure. Hopefully that, that pans out and you guys can do something together. That'd be cool. Yeah. It'd be cool. Thanks Grace. Well, Grace, we can't thank you enough um, yeah. for uh, not merely the, the music um, and state of grace, but for who you are and the permission that your integrity and vulnerability gives to the rest of us. Um, thank you for uh, provoking the system about its own six secrets um, and even challenging the economic models of how that industry works and how far that is from anything Jubilee that Jesus preached. Um, we appreciate all that about you and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciated speaking with y'all and hope I wasn't uh, too verbose at any points, but it's very cool to like speak with other sort of like-minded people and go through scripture. I, I haven't really had an opportunity to do that yet in any interviews. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. No, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I, and I got to mention um, that right after uh, we had uh, got you in line to, to the interview, one of my friends, in fact, I'll give him a shout out because I know he's going to want to listen. John Michael Katagnola Pickens, he works on gun rights stuff here in the city and worked together with him in a group called Free Together. But he had just posted on Facebook uh, your album and just how much he loved it and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to be interviewing her in about a week or two, you know, so he was all excited. But uh, but um, so I know that um, you are resonating with a whole wide range of folks from all over. And uh, just thank you for your music. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. it absolutely my pleasure. This is, seems like a really wonderful community and I really appreciate all for inviting me to share. And Grace, it was in the fine print, but you and Lizzie do have to come stay when you, you, you visit Australia. So when the Australian tour happens, you've got good. a place to say. Okay, sounds good. I will take you up on that. Great. Well, thank you, my friend. Take care. All right. See y'all. Peace. Bye. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse?